Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. My name is John Coos. I'm a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Cowa board member. This is episode two of season two. Before I interview my guest, I'd like to encourage all of you to attend the Wireless West Conference next month. The event date is April 26th through the 28th at the beautiful Marriott Marquis in San Diego. They've asked me to be a panel moderator at the event, so please seek me out. It would be great to meet many of our podcast listeners. You can register at wirelesswestconference.com. All right. My guest today is Andrew Alm, founder and CEO of Advanced Wireless and Logistics, also known as AWOL. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, man. And thanks for doing this on short notice. I appreciate that. So, We've been in contact for about two years, thanks to one of your right-hand men, uh, Joshua O. Kennedy, who once worked for me at CORE, but yet we didn't actually meet until a few weeks ago at the Nate conference in Vegas. You know, that pesky pandemic thing, you know, that we were, right. that we were in. So, but we've chatted a number of times, um, but I don't believe you've ever told me your wireless origin story and as my list as listeners of the podcast know i always ask my guests about that so andrew how'd you get into wireless yes uh so actually not not your typical uh journey to the wireless industry um how i got here uh actually i joined up uh to the military right after 9 11 uh and i got plucked out due to my height from medical I am uh, six foot eight, height cut off of six six in the military. I found out across all branches, uh, and I needed waivers. And so during that time, while I was waiting for waivers, uh, my father, who owned his own business in the aerospace industry, pulled me over to work with them on some military contracts. Um, a lot of it uh, dealt with RF microwave systems, communication systems, early warning systems, missile guidance systems, all using RF technology. Uh, so ended up working in that field for three years uh, in laboratories, uh, on planes, military equipment, as well as uh, microwave systems and satellite systems for the public. Uh, sitting in uh, a clean room laboratory with 60-year-old RF engineers gets a little boring uh, in, in the young age. And uh, it prompted me to go and start climbing towers where a lot of our communication equipment went. Uh, and so I... Ended up doing that and traveling the country far and wide for many years and climbing towers and, and learning how to how to install all that stuff. Wow, that's that's cool. Everybody's got a different origin story, and um, you know, usually um, they don't involve getting bitten by a radioactive spider, but like Peter Parker. But th that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. In fact, our last guest, uh, Philip French, he had um, a military related entry into wireless too so that's two for two on this season so um 
Excellent. So you mentioned that you just you started climbing towers. I mean, uh, no one just starts climbing towers. You you must have deliberately gone into training on that and whatnot. You wanted to be a tower climber. Yes. Yeah. So um, what I liked was the the opportunity to get out there and explore the country, climb these tall towers, uh, and see the heights. It's something I had never done before. Um, <laughs> and uh, little did I know that it was something that uh, you know I didn't really want to do for for the rest of my life. I spent about four or five years climbing. Um, when I got into it, uh, it was really asking around. And uh, I found the right person to talk to and uh, was with a company called NSA Wireless out of San Ramon, okay. California, uh, Jim Irish. And uh, they were heavy in the Sprint projects, uh, CH2M Hill doing the EVDO upgrades in, I want to say, about 2007, 2006, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, got brought on board and harnessed up and sent on my way. And uh, learned the life of the tower hand for several years um, and was able to get into some construction management along the way. So I was able to use my, my brain and my arms at the same time. No, that's, that's excellent. I'm not sure if you were at the keynote lunch at, the, at Nate, big room. Um, they showed that, that video or the, the trailer for the video that Nate produced with, uh, regarding tower climbers. And I, I was, you know, I was getting... I have, I've developed a little bit of a fear of heights in, in, the, in, in the last 10 years of my life. I don't know what brought it on, but I was watching this video. I've seen guys on like, and gals, on like 300-foot towers. And just watching the, commercial, the, the, the trailer kind of freaked me out. It's, it's not for the faint of heart, right? I mean, it's, 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 I mean had you ever um, had experience with heights and whatnot before you started doing that? Uh, nothing like this. No. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I think I was more scared of heights than anything, uh, until this job, uh, still scared of heights, but we'll work out. Them. Yeah, man. It's, 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 it's actually really heroic, um, work. I think, you know, people don't really appreciate, I mean, even people in our own industry, like people like myself on the front end over most of my career on the side act side, don't really appreciate all the safety, um, hazards and whatnot that go into uh, RF construction, particularly like on really tall skyscrapers or tall build uh, or tall towers. Um, so anyway, you got um, you 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 went that path, and then um, you know you worked in the industry. It looks like about I don't know seven or eight years or so, and then you started uh, Advanced Wireless and Logistics. Um, what made you take that plunge? I mean. It's a pretty bold thing to do, and it's I totally respect it. But you know, uh, it's a big jump to you know be, go from being a, an employee to kind of being the guy. Uh, yes, yes, quite the jump, right? Still one of the scariest uh, but best decisions I, I made in my life so far. Um, I was working at a company called Black and Beach uh, as a market manager. I worked there for several years, working on the Sprint. Uh, program with OCI and BB out of uh, San Francisco there. And I had a daughter. She was born with special needs. I uh, was in the NICU for, for quite some time. And the typical, you know, nine to five, seven to seven kind of telecom uh, hours that we work, uh, it didn't fit the schedule with, with this newborn. 
and um, in, in this situation that we were um, given with her. And so um, the thought was as well, I, I should be able to work at any time of the day or the night to make up for that. Uh, and if there's anyone that's going to tell me I can do that or not do that, it should be myself. And mm-hmm. uh, so went out on our own and uh, tried tried to uh, make this thing work. And here we are eight years, eight years next month later, uh, 83 employees. And uh, we're operating in four states currently. And excellent. So, and you started that in the uh, San Francisco Bay market or? Yes. So uh, we opened up in Concord, Concord, California in 2014 um, and worked out of there for several years. And as we grew, um, we, we definitely needed more space and warehouse space in the San Francisco market is hard to come by. So we, uh, mm-hmm. relocated the company headquarters up to Dixon, California. Uh, we currently sit at 20,000 square feet, uh, and we're, we're shortly here expanding another 10,000 square feet to 30,000. We'll have a, uh, 10,000 square foot training facility for our West headquarters, and uh, our plan is to be able to bring in all of our employees uh, from all of the other markets and other offices mm-hmm. and we'll run them through training with our safety program and get them out back to the field uh, running out in their markets. Okay, we're going to come back to training because um, um, and, and, that's a huge issue and, we'll, and we'll, we'll loop that in in a bit. But yeah, so you, you're, you're in the, so what four states are you in? We're in Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California, and Nevada. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. I mean, obviously, you started in Concord, and you're probably more of a Bay Area play of sorts. I mean, when you, what was your experience in geographic expansion? Because sometimes, you know, small companies are working um, and they're functioning um, well, um, where, you know, where they start. And then as you grow, you know, all of a sudden you've got an office, you know, 500 miles away or whatever, and it's just not the same. How did you guys handle sort of that growth period where you're, you know, you know, you can't see the same, you know, all your people daily or weekly pre zoom, obviously. I mean, this is just a few years ago, probably, but you know, talk about that, uh, that those growing challenges. So, so far we've been lucky to have our core group of employees out of the, the Dixon market grow with us to other markets. Um, so they're folks that have relocated with, within, from, from the Bay Area to the new market, whether it be Oregon or Washington. So they, they know the standard operating procedures um, within our company and within our walls. And so we're duplicating that, but in a smaller satellite office. Excellent. So you're exporting with your existing core group of people, um, your culture and your methods of going about the business to other markets, right? As opposed to hiring someone from the outside. Right. Yeah. That's- we kind of give it a baseline, right? And then we hire from, from that local market uh, and add to but yeah, we, we kind of so far have had a great baseline coming from within uh, to expand out. Got it. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Um, that's, I think, one of the pitfalls of companies, not just in our industry, but um, writ large, that you have a, a success in a market 
and you try to replicate it in other markets. But if you don't have the people to to export the culture with, it, it's it, it, it's a challenge. And so it sounds like you've done um, some really solid organic growth the right way. So staying on the theme about your company, you know, what, what, you know, I founded or co-founded uh, core development services back in 05 and uh, I had never done anything like that. And I didn't know anything about running a business either. And sort of uh, on the, you know, did you get advice going into it? Probably maybe uh, uh, your, your, your father, you, you mentioned to me offline that you, he, he, he had an existing business, you know, maybe that was a help. I mean, what were the do's and don'ts, about a startup that you uh, maybe were given advice on that it's been helpful to you as you as you've gone on this journey. Oh, I think I think don't was probably the number one piece of advice I got when going into this, um, and uh, I'm glad I didn't listen to that. Um, oh, don't do it at all. Yeah, don't do it at all. <laughs> um, you know, there's some days where I do think about that. I shouldn't have done this at all. We created a monster, um, but but other days, um, you know, it's it's great uh, to to be able to have uh, employees and that trust uh, your judgment and your leadership, and uh, you know, putting them first every morning when I wake up is is what we do and how we go about our day, uh, and so being able to serve them uh, as a servant leader um, and guide them through the water. <laughs> probably been the best um, role I've entered into uh, over everything else. Uh, and so empowering the people uh, has really led to uh, our success, in, in not just in one market or the other, just as a company as a whole. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me, let's stay on that vein real quick. I mean, what, uh, what would you have done differently knowing what you know today, though? Ah, that's a good one. Um, I would probably say letting go of the reins a little sooner, empowering the people sooner. It took me a little while to learn that. Um, you know, I am young and thick-headed. <laughs> At 36 years old, to be running uh, such an establishment with such great people, I'm, I'm thankful for it every day. And I would say probably empowering the people and the folks that you hired to do the thing you wanted them to do, let them go for it, guide them. Um, and by doing that, I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot uh, in the business itself, you know, in, in, in just as many ways. Yeah, totally. I, I met you through one of my former employees and it was a bummer when I, uh, had to downsize a few years ago and lose uh, Josh, but you know that's how I met you. And if he's indicative of the kinds of people that you have in leadership positions, then kudos to you, man, because he's good people. You know that is that's that that's um, that's that's great stuff. So, so you, you how many crews do you guys have? Uh, out of the NorCal market, I believe we're at seventeen. Okay. And in Oregon, we're just getting up and running with two. Right on, cool. And and so, what do you guys? I mean, you know, we've got um, a couple divisions. One is like really solid on, you know, 
uh, RF, uh, you know, tower work. Another one's in a different geographic area is really solid on like microwave transport type of work. What, what would you say is like your, like, uh, what you guys is truly your wheelhouse or is it multiple things? Yeah, I would say we're more multifaceted than anything. Um, we're, we're known for our RF crews, uh, tower climbers. Uh, we're very strong on that. Um, as well as heavy civils. Um, we've got some amazing civil crews, underground, um, you know, tower stacking crews, you name it, new builds, parking lots, EV mm -hmm. stations, solar stations. We're doing a little bit of everything. Uh, as well as full electrical services, master electrician C10 services in multiple states. Um, so we pride ourselves in really trying to take everything in-house versus subbing it out. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things that saves your, your budgets, your timelines, and your commitments to your customers is being able to control all that in-house. And if we don't know something, we'll learn it. We'll bring it in-house. We'll find the right operators, and then we'll expand upon that and use it as a new business line all along the way, learning that new skill, that new trade. Um, we've done that with heavy civils and uh, in, in a lot of the underground electric vehicle work. Um, oh, excellent. So, yeah, it's funny. You mentioned um, wait, something you said to, uh, triggered something. I had lunch with a guy, um, a Southern California owner of a GC last week, and we were talking about, you know, how to survive and have good margins in this climate. Um, and one of the things he told me was that, you know, you can't expect a crew, a single crew to be experts at everything. You've got to be able to be nimble. And if you got to pour concrete or you got to do a, spe a specialty um, construction item, you know, leverage the skills of one crew versus the other and, and figure it out in a team environment rather than just kind of say, oh, this crew is assigned to this site and this crew is assigned to this site because each site's different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, well, so we talked about, uh, we talked a lot about labor and it was a hot topic, labor shortage in particular. It has come up um, a couple of times um, on this podcast in the last year, but we, it, you know, coming off of Nate, you know, um, it was actually, um, it was really cool, I thought, because Nate um, made it they pretty much used a bullhorn on this topic on all their literature, which is like, they will kick you out of this conference. If you're caught soliciting people, basically poaching people. <laughs> I mean, because it, it was a huge no, no at the conference. I'm not sure if you've, you, if you felt that in the, in the programming of it at all, but it's, it's out there. There's a lot of people, a lot of recruiters, um, you know, going after experienced people that companies like yours and companies like mine, um, it's tough out there right now. Uh, there's more work than there is bodies. Um, talk a bit about your experience in the last couple of years regarding this topic and what you're doing to um, basically minimize that impact on your company. Yeah. Well, you know, poaching and, and stealing the folks' you know, employees, it's just it's one of those things that it doesn't last very long. It doesn't get you very far in this industry. And um, what we've learned over the years is, you know, as the trades becomes more and more 
sparse with qualified personnel is we're having to go a little further down and get to those job fairs, get to the high schoolers, get to the trade schools, get to the electrical schools and really get in there and tell them who you are and what you're doing and why you want to see them in your employment line. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're having to take upon the role as a general contractor to train up um, these folks because the qualified person just isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's really made things a lot more difficult, but at the same time, as we navigate through those waters, um, it's put a lot of effort and eyes onto our own safety and uh, educational programs on Mm -hmm. how we're going to train these folks up. Um, We're not going to find somebody that's got the three to five year experience that's going to fit within our pay range, right? Or our budgetary range. Mm -hmm. We got to create that role now. We got to create that person. Um, And so we've done a a really good job. It's been probably a solid five years of us developing our internal uh, programs. Um, But it's something that we can now, you know, offer to the public with a lot of our qualifications, not just within our four walls. So that's something that we'll be getting more into later this year uh, with our training facility that we're going to be opening up. Are you at all afraid or is it in the back of your mind that you could be training people for your competitors? Uh, You always are. Right. Um, Ever since we opened our doors, we were doing just that. One of the, the biggest things Um, I learned coming up in this game uh, is, you know, how I was treated and how I wanted to be treated. And I learned a lot of things. Um, And I, unfortunately, I learned some of the the shady things within our industry, right? Um, I try to take a lot of the positives and a lot of the negatives I learned along the way and implement them here within our walls. And uh, I would say one of the main mentors in my life with my father and watching him, um, you know, bring up three separate businesses and, and, and sell them off. And he's now happily retired. He always had people willing to follow him from one business to the other. And I always wondered what it, what it was. Why, why would they do that? Why would they just uproot themselves and follow you? And it was the way he treated them. Right. And, uh, you know, you treat your employees the way you want to be treated. You pay them a fair, good wage, and they're going to show up happy to work. And uh, so when you really take the servant leadership role and you start putting others before yourself, um, great things happen. And, uh, you know, that's how we were able to grow. Um, That's how we're able to retain people. Um, The churn rate with us is very low. Um, you know, and so going down to the younger generations, uh, down to the high schoolers and to the trade schools is, is really the next generation in the next five to 10 years of our industry and getting them in, into the door, uh, and getting, you know, some work under their belts. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to guess that, um, your own experience with a special needs child has helped influence your employee centric attitude that people have lives they've got challenges and you've got to you've got to find they've got to find the balance so you then you've therefore you've got to find the balance to make 
sure that they feel appreciated beyond just being an employee. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's learned, uh, you know, it's taught me to be a more patient person. It's also taught me that you can get to the same outcome 20 different ways. Right, right, right. Yeah, there, that, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel so fortunate that my first employee, even though I've been bought since, core was bought, is still with me. And I think when she had kids and whatnot, and, uh, you know, they're now, you know, graduating from high school now and everything, but, uh, if it wasn't for the little things sometimes, maybe I wouldn't have kept her, you know, because, you know, the, oh, you know, Emily's got to play or this something, a doctor's appointment, things like that. And then I'd see her online later on, like at 10 o'clock sending emails and it all kind of works out. Right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to, um, close this up pretty soon. Um, but you know, um, one thing that the talking with you offline and talking with Todd at uh, Schleckaway at Nate and also being at Nate, um, talking to a couple of the exhibitors, they were small community colleges that had a teleconstruction, um, you know, program or curriculum they've developed. And, and I, I talked to, uh, a vice president of, uh, I think it was student affairs for a long time about it. And, but those were really small schools. And I think they were in South Dakota. I mean, we've got over a hundred community colleges in this, in the state of California. And, you know, I, I don't understand why at this point in, you know, 2022, this industry has really been around for, you know, 40 ish years, 35 years that there isn't that tracked in the public school system. That's something that I'm really interested in hope that I can be a part of a group at uh, Kawa to create that dialogue with the community college presidents. If, if it was a program that was taught by people like yourself, industry professionals, lecturers, and the program was relevant to the industry where they recognized they sanctioned by the industry as yes, this curriculum makes sense because that, 19 or 20 year old will literally walk into a job um, when they, when they get their certificate program, it, 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 it's, it's something we definitely need. Um, and we've, you and I've talked about that. And so you're doing it on your own because you kind of, you know, you, you got to, but yeah. what, what do you think about um, that, that initiative about, you know, I think it's fantastic what yeah. they've done, you know, so far. Um, I'd like to see it move out West, you yeah. know, California being as, uh, technology driven, uh, as any other state, right. You know, we, we should be seeing more of a drive for this in our schools. Um, the trades is where it's at. You know, the trades is what built America. The trades is what's built America's communications. Um, and the demand is only growing. So, you know, putting the spotlight on the, on our trades, but trades as a whole, uh, it has to be all of our jobs, uh, for the future. Yeah. And uh, not to belabor the point, but it, I don't think it just starts at the community colleges. I think we actually have to penetrate the high school districts as well, because, um, I think they've come a long way in the last 10 years or so recognizing this, but not far enough to that the whole culture of a high school education is biased towards going to a four-year school. 
and I think that's not for everyone. And, and but they're not telling kids that they're not they're not they're not shining a big light on. There's a whole other world outside the four year path at college. And this is what it looks like. This is what kind of trades you could do. This is what kind of money you can make. Show what the top plumber makes. Show what the top, you know, wireless construction guy can make. And it's sometimes better than most college jobs, which, but kids just don't know, right? Correct. I have a couple 21 and 22 year olds that are pushing 90 plus thousand a year. How many? The money is there. Yep. Totally. Cool. Well, I look forward to uh, talking to you about that further in the future. Um, before we go, um, do you have any uh, thing you want to get off your chest before we say goodbye or, or, or any words of wisdom? No, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity as a general contractor owner uh, in the telecommunications industry uh, being offered a, a chance to sit at the table and have a voice. Um, that's one thing that I feel like our industry needs more of. Um, we are the, uh, workforce of the industry. And, uh, I think we need more of a voice and more opportunities to be able to have these open table discussions, um, on who we are, what we do and how we can better our industry as, as a whole together. Excellent. Thanks so much. And so, and I will be seeing you in San Diego next month, right at Wireless West. Absolutely. Excellent. Cool. Well, thanks, Andrew. Thanks again. This has been great. And um, in previous podcasts, at least the last six or seven or so, I've tried to send us out with uh, a song from my era, the 80s, involving the telecom industry, phones, etc. But you're too young to go that far back in time. So I'm going to go out with Telephone by Lady Gaga and Beyonce. <laughs> I love it. All right. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Till next time, everyone. Thanks very much. back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.